I just sat down in a chair, not knowing their assigned chair, especially the front row. And I sat right in the front row. I don't know whose chair I sat in. And uh, the CO was there and the CO looked at me and he's like, like, you know, in, in colorful Navy words, he asked me who I was. And I told him I was a midshipman and I wanted to fly an F-14. And he told me in colorful words to get out. And I told him, no, that this was my dream and I wasn't leaving till I got a flight. And he started to laugh and he asked me what school I went to because he said I had a lot of for a woman. Mm-hmm. And I said I went to Penn State. And he said, Big Ten, you're flying. I got very lucky that day. Welcome to Talk With History. I'm your host, Scott, here with my wife and historian, Jen. Hello. On this podcast, we give you insights into our history-inspired world travels, YouTube channel journey, and examine history through deeper conversations with the curious, the explorers, and the history lovers out there. Jen. Yes. (laughs) Before we start talking about the history of air shows, as I'm sure everybody knows that this is about, it's going to be the show title, I have a joke for you. Oh, goodness. Okay. What happens to a bad airplane joke? Goes up in flames. It never lands. <laughs> it never lands. <laughs> <laughs> so as you know, uh, this is this show is about uh, the history of air shows and women in aviation. So uh, I'm excited to, to jump into that. But before we do, I always like to ask people for reviews. We actually did get a recent review, a five-star review from Lady Blackwood. Hmm. Sounds fancy. Uh, five-star review. My kind of stuff. I've always been a big World War II history buff this is freaking amazing. Why, thank you, Miss Lady Blackwood. Uh, she must have heard of World War II show. <laughs> yeah, must have. Must have just absolutely loved it. Um, so, again, please leave us a, a review on Apple Podcasts. or five stars in Spotify. Uh, you know, unlike the History Channel, we are out there doing it and actually covering <laughs> history. And we were at Naval Air Station Oceana this past week, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. From the death-defying stunts of early aviators to the trailblazing women who broke barriers in the clouds, this episode of Talk With History is a tribute to the incredible individuals who have shaped the thrilling world of aviation. And it was only a few years ago that a young Jennifer Mitchell (laughs) went to an air show and it forever changed the course of her life. And that young Jennifer is now sitting with us today talking about naval aviation. So, Jen, let's talk about the history of air shows, what they were celebrating over at Naval Air Station Oceana, and 50 years of women in aviation. (laughs) That's so cool. Thanks, babe. So, air shows, you know, they're kind of... uh been around since aviation in general first air show was in 1909 in france and then america wasn't far behind our first air show here was in 1910 1909 wow and when you think uh, first the first flight was 1907 it's not long sure after everybody wants to see it everyone wants to see it and it really was at the time people were just dumbfounded by this new apparatus that could fly conversation probably went like i don't believe it Come with me. I'll show you. Mm -hmm. And people traveled to fields to, you know, where um, runways and and aircraft were 
and to, to be able to see them and to see what they can do and, and pilots practicing and how they could fly. And like I said, in 1910, they came here to America and they were pretty popular. Um, World War One made them even more popular. So after World War One, of course, and then you get kind of two types of air shows. You get aerobatic air shows, kind of like the one we saw where people are going to do stunts or you get static air shows where people you just want to see the aircraft on the tarmac. And you get to go in the aircraft and look around. Or it can be a combination of both. Yeah, and that's what we did this this mm-hmm. last, actually, just yesterday. And yes. that's why this podcast is a little bit late, because we were exhausted <laughs> yesterday. Yes. We were out there all day, yes. climbing in the aircraft with the kids and seeing some amazing aviation acrobatics, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. Yeah, and so, like, you know, the beginning of air shows really were people traveling to the air show and then after world war one it became more of a the air show came to you yeah traveling around yeah they called it barnstorming because it would come to farm areas right and basically you know fly by barns Um, and then that's where all the kind of large tracts of land that were had straight places for people to land and take off exactly and that's where it really like you know started to encroach on the masses because again, it's still a relatively new thing. Unless you're in the military or you have a lot of money or you live close to an airport, you're not going to see aircraft. Like It's not like today where they're readily available. And in barnstorming air show time, people would also take people up flying. And that would be like their first time ever flying. It would be like the two-seater, the by the wing aircraft. They would take people up flying. And so that was a very big thing to do in those early air shows. And again, it was more of a show where you sat and watched the airplanes kind of fly around and what they did. And then they would come and land. And then if you, if you paid a couple bucks, you could fly in the back. And that's how basically pilots made their life, the yeah. livelihood. Um, but what we went to was like a, a military air show. Yeah. It wasn't civilian. It, the, I don't, the news was there. Um, they had their helicopter. Yeah, de- definitely military focused. The, for us getting on, so Naval Air, Air Station, Oceana, think Virginia Beach, mm-hmm. right? Norfolk area. And I mean, that is like kind of the hub here on the on the East Coast for naval aviation. I mean, aside from maybe Pensacola. Sure. So, you know, I had stood at the historic marker that says naval aviation started in here in Norfolk in 1911. And so... If you get if you if you're following the timeline, first air show 1909 France, first air show in America 1910, naval aviation starts 1911. You know, aviation is just being innovated so quickly at this time. But Oceana doesn't open uh, as an air station until 1943. Okay. So during World War II. And then uh, the first air show was in 1953. So 10 years after that. So we went in uh, 2023. So we yeah. went to the 70th air show. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah so that was I, really cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah, so that was really neat. And then, of course, um, we got to see some static aircraft. There's lots of... Today, there's a lot more than uh, would be in the older days. Well, and that was one of the things that I was really looking forward to because our kids are old, are old enough now to kind of appreciate and want still want to do it. They're mm-hmm. not too cool. Right. To, to not to want to go do those things. Yes. But also what we got to do and we'll talk more about nose art later. That's a separate episode. Yes. We have com- we made an com- episode from there. Mm-hmm. We, um, but you got to talk to the kids about this is what mom flew when you know, this yes. is what I flew. This yes. is, you know, not me personally, but this was you talking to the kids yes. and like I flew this helicopter and I landed this other 
you know, yes. big ass helicopter over here, yes. this sea stallion. Yes. I landed this on the Tarawa. Yeah. You know, so you got to talk to the kids about that, right? Um, yeah, it was, was very, neat. it was neat for me. That I think it was the first time they actually got to see the helicopter I flew. Yeah. And so I flew the SH-60 Bravo, which is a Black Hawk helicopter painted silver uh, for the Navy. And we call it a Seahawk. But so they had a Black Hawk there. And so the kids got to actually see the helicopter mommy flew. And I don't think they've ever gotten to see that before. And I did a whole episode on nose art and things that are painted on the aircraft. And I gave a little background of that. And so we were filming that episode as well. But I was also pointing to other stuff on the helicopter. And people were listening and paying attention and just everything you have to do as a pilot, how you pre-flight every time you fly and what you're pre-flighting, what you're opening and what you're kind of looking for. And then we went into the sea stallion and there was a female pilot there and I was speaking to her for a little bit. And they are um, decommissioning the sea stallion. So we talked about her. Yeah, you, and you were telling me before we kind of got up closer to the sea stallion, we were standing in line how old these yeah. aircraft were. And they just kind of keep keeping them oh, around because, yeah. I mean, they they use these heavily, mm -hmm. right? They're heavy transport. Yeah. I mean, so a sea stallion is a beast. Yeah. Seven rotors. I mean, and you can basically get one of the small tanks inside of them. Plus, they could transport a lot of troops. So they are, they're heavy lifting, heavy load. Um, and, but they're just getting too hard to fix now, yeah, too expensive. Long of a tooth, right? Yes. I mean, and they had some, it was a lot of army reserve, mm -hmm. you know, that was there. So they had like a CH-47, which is Chinook. Yep. Um, and some other larger aircraft. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They had the 53s and then, you know, um, not really jets that you could get up close, up close and personal to, but they had T thirty fours. Yeah, they had, they had P3. some T. Yep, they had T thirty fours. They had a couple eighteens out there. Like you said, you could mm -hmm. get close to them. We could get close to picture them. And they had the Blue Angels off in the distance. So I took some video of the Blue Angels. You couldn't get close to them either because yeah. they're flying. Now, speaking of the Blue Angels, and I think I had heard this, but I, I didn't really dawn on me, but they have their first female yeah. pilot flying for the Blue Angels. And so that was kind of the big thing on Sunday. They were emphasizing 50 years of women in aviation. 50 years of women in aviation. And, and you were telling me, and, and for those listening, Jen was winged in 2001. Yes. And... Jen's always told me, and she kind of is talking about it again as we're walking around this air show, and there's multiple female pilots mm -hmm. around, and there's female air crew. And Jen, would you would talk about when you would go to air shows when you were flying, and you'd be the only female pilot at a big air show like this. Yeah, it, I mean, I've really gotten to see a lot of change in aviation. I mean, we think 50 years of women in aviation, it doesn't mean 50 years of women in the majority of aviation or inundating aviation, these are just women who were the first to go to flight school and yeah. pass. It doesn't even mean that they flew in combat because they didn't open combat for women until in the 1990s. Yeah. And then even then you had to qualify in those combat aircraft to be able to fly in combat. And that took time as well. And it wasn't easy. And so these women, you know, ones or twosies here and there, but it wasn't like a big group. And when you think about it, you know, we're just getting the first female Blue Angel, Amanda Lee. She flies number three uh, in 2022. Uh, the Thunderbirds were a little before the Navy. They had their first female in 2005, but it's still relatively new. And they've had one other female. So it's not like it's like half of the pilots are female. And even... In squadrons today, it's not like half of the pilots are female. It doesn't really work that way. We're getting more women. And so I was talking to the air crewman on the 53 who was a, a woman. 
and the pilot was a woman. So I was like, oh my gosh, to see a female air crewman, I never saw a female air crewman. That's the person who's in the back of the air, the helicopter when yeah. you fly. I asked her, have you had an all female flight? And she goes, I had one last week. That was never even a possibility when I flew. Yeah. There wasn't even enough women to have an all female flight. I flew one time with another woman. I flew with Amy Bauerschmidt, who's now uh, Admiral. Yep. I flew with her in um, when I was going through the RAG at, for for 60 Bravos. And that was probably my only female flight that I ever had. And so it was, it's amazing to see what has happened in aviation. Like, I feel like I was halfway. Yeah. You yeah I mean, of, you, you were. I mean, if you think about 50 years, yeah. it was like 20 years ago yeah. that, that you, were, uh, you were at these air shows. <laughs> yeah. You know? So I feel like I was halfway. So I always tell the story. I We flew, I did my cross country. When you get your wings, you do a cross country. And I did my cross country to Dayton, Ohio for the air show. They do a big air show there because the Wright brothers are from... Dayton and that's where the Air Force Base is. So they do a big air show, almost like this air show, which is a static display air show and aerobatics are happening at the same time. And I think the Blue Angels even flew there at that air show. And um, so we made our helicopter static, kind of like what we saw when you could climb in the aircraft and look around it and touch it. And so I'm standing in front of the helicopter talking about the helicopter. And I tell people, I notice a lot of little girls coming over. And I noticed a lot of dads bringing the little girls over. And I, I'm still a student pilot, so I'm just like, it's terrible to say, but I'm just making stuff up. I did this a lot, even on the Tarawa. I remember you, my you first... You were, you were really bad about that. <laughs> I'm bad about that. <laughs> I was like, my first day on the Tarawa, I'm a pilot on an LAJ, and I don't know. And they put me in charge of tours. I don't know. Yeah, this is where the missiles are. I don't know anything about the surface Navy. Like, Jen, we don't have missiles. <laughs> the the missiles, they put them over there. And the, people were asking me, they really have those on the ship? I'm like, yeah. But um, so same thing with the helicopter. I was like, oh, this is what this does. And this is, and I do the basics of what things did. But I would ask people, you want to sit in the cockpit? And I'm like, sure. So I would lift them up and put them in the cockpit. And, and I just, then, you know, you have a break. You're allowed to walk around the air show, grow, grow go grab something to eat, you know? And as I'm walking around this air show, I just remember going, oh my gosh, there's no other women pilots here. And this whole air show, I'm in my flight suit, I'm the only woman, and it dawns on me, that's why all these little girls are coming over to my helicopter. Yeah. Because it's uh, something they can see, you know, some modeling of what you could be if you want to be a female aviator. Um, when I was a young kid and my parents took me to see the Thunderbirds in Wyoming uh, when we were stationed at F.E. Warren Air Force Base, I don't even remember there being a female pilot, but I didn't care. I just wanted to be a pilot and nothing was going to stop me from doing that. Uh, through my career there, I have had some women who definitely were influencers for me, but it really was great that... Uh, that I had some really great men who championed my career. And I, one of the things I talk about is um, a lot is my flight in an F-14 when I was a midshipman off the USS Eisenhower, only midshipman who got a hop uh, in an F-14. And I was a female at the time. This is 1998 on the USS Eisenhower in the Mediterranean. So off the coast of uh, in Europe. And, uh, I walk into this F-18 squad, F-14 squadron. Like this is the heyday of Top Gun. 
F-14 squadron, skull and crossbones on their tail yeah, of their Jolly F-14. Rogers. Jolly Rogers. I mean, these that dudes. squadron is actually there at the air show. Yeah, these dudes are no joke. Like, they're the guys. And um, I walk into their ready room. So a ready room is a room where you all sit. You, you notice it in Top Gun, where they're all sitting in the chairs facing forward, facing like the commanding officer who's ever giving like the brief for the day. And when your briefs aren't happening, you sit in there and kind of play plan. Or listen to the radio or write letters home. That, that's like your hangout room. And so I walked into the ready room and I just sat down in a chair, not knowing their assigned chair, especially the front row. And I sat right in the front row. I don't know whose chair I sat in. And I, the CO was there and the CO looked at me and he's like, like, you know, in, in colorful Navy words, he asked me who I was. And I told him I was a midshipman and I wanted to fly an F-14. And he told me in colorful words to get out. And I told him, no, that this was my dream and I wasn't leaving till I got a flight. And he started to laugh and he asked me what school I went to because he said I had a lot of for a woman. Mm -hmm. And I said I went to Penn State and he said, Big Ten, you're flying. I got very lucky that day because that commanding officer had gone to Indiana University, which is in the Big Ten. And he uh, he was all for me flying. So the minute his attitude changed around well, and it was a CEO, he's commanding officer. Yeah. yeah. Everybody in the squadron's attitude changed around. I, we started laughing. He shook my hand. We went over to the schedule. We picked a flight together. Uh, he was going to fly at the same time in his jet. He told me to come back the next day, get fitted for a G suit, you know, and meet the guys. And and I came back the next day, and they gave me squadron patches. They made sure I wore their patches while I flew with them. I wore, you know, you you don't get your own G suit, so I wore another pilot's. I'm you know similar size to and we talk about this a woman pilot being similar size to a man at the time because cockpits are built for men and um i went through like pre-flight stuff like how do you learn to do stuff in the back because you still have to be an effective co-pilot yep. you're changing radios in the back you're doing things in the back you have to and i'd already gone through all the qualifications to fly in an ejection seat uh, i had done all that as a midshipman in case this was to happen on my midshipman cruise, you go through all these qualifications in case you do get a hop in an F-14. It was very rare, but it could happen. So they made sure you went to your midshipman cruise prepared with the qualifications. And so I had done all of that stuff, but I still needed to learn certain things, different uh, frequencies and stuff like that. And uh, and the day I'm, I'm gearing, getting geared up in my G-suit, which was it, to even get in that thing is like <laughs> a workout because it's a it's a pain to zip this tight thing around you all the way up to like right under your chest. Uh, the CO was there getting his G suit and he put um, Jolly Ranchers in my pocket and on your shoulder. And he said, if you start to feel sick, just suck on these. Like even taking care of me to that extreme, uh, which was fantastic because nothing will prepare you for what a cat shot is like in an F-14. And so we and a cat shot for those who are listening is basically the catapulting you off of the aircraft. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. My, my mom was just talking to me today about uh, different countries now are coming out with their own aircraft carriers with ramps yep. on the front. Right. And a ramp will catapult you up into the sky and you'll hit translational lift. You're going to dip, but it gives you some more altitude for that dip. 
But the Navy just catapult you off. Just straight head. off. There's just no ramp. shoot you off. There's no ramp. Oh, you better hit that those thrusters fast. <laughs> yeah. So you just get shot off. And uh, and so nothing compares you for what that feels like. And then I remember he said, are you ready? And I was like, ready for what? And he did. Like you see the maneuvers that the, um, the, the, the Blue Angels do. He pulled the straight up. Geez, like we went vertical straight up. So were you, you so you were flying with the CO? No, I flew with his name. Call sign was Rhino. Okay, I flew with one of the he's a lieutenant, which always are your your most dangerous yep. pilots. Yep. <laughs> and CO went up in his own jet. Probably didn't want to fly with the midshipman. <laughs> and honestly, he probably didn't want to do a lot of the flying. Probably made someone else fly, and he just sat in the back. <laughs> but um. So I flew with Rhino and we we shot straight up. That was amazing. And then he's like, okay, now watch the speedometer. And we broke the sound barrier and we did some barrel rolls. And then that's when the CO came up and joined up on us. We form flew. So again, a lot what the Blue Angels do, form flying is you do it a lot in the military. Uh, it's it's I wouldn't say it's, I hate to say this, it's kind of easy flying. I know the Blue Angels do it. It's easy because you know exactly what you have to do when you fly form you fly a sight picture of the other aircraft and you just tuck yourself into that sight picture and you hold it and you never take your eyes off the other aircraft you're never looking at your own gauges you're never looking away you just look at the other aircraft and you fixate on looking and the whole time you're holding that sight picture and you're maneuvering your controls just a little bit just to keep that sight picture so if they're turning if they're barrel rolling if they're flipping around you really don't know it you're doing it with them because you're holding the sight picture so tight that they which is what the blue angels do when they barrel roll you're just going with them because you're holding the sight picture so when they say when the announcer says you know their wings are only 18 inches apart Mm -hmm. that's all they're focusing on is keeping Mm -hmm. that wing position the same spot 18 inches apart you have visuals that you hit there's probably for them like they're probably keeping a wingtip in the v of navy they're probably keeping and if you keep this in this picture here and this picture here you know you're exactly where you need to be tucked into the aircraft and then when you break away of course that's the first time you'll look at your controls and you'll break away but once you're in form you're just tight in looking at the other aircraft the entire time yeah and so we we do that because yeah. you form up in a lot of that you practice because of refueling, because a lot of refueling is kind of like this form flying. It has to be perfection because you have to catch the basket yeah. with the refueling probe. So, you know, people were asked, like, why do you form fly? Most of the time it's it's a refueling practice because you refuel in the air yeah. as Navy pilots. So you were flying with the Jolly Ranchers. Now you got to land back down. Obviously, yeah. So we, we, it was great. I mean, it was great. He played the Indiana fight song. Oh, of course. <laughs> and I started laughing and, and I mean, honestly, you see the aircraft carrier become like, it looks like a postage stamp and then it becomes like a little dot in the ocean. They don't even see it anymore. So it's like, you're going to land back on that. So when you go back for your landing, you know, you always know like they, the jet pilot's going to set up for his approach way far out. They're going to have, they're going to call the ball, which is basically lining a ball up on a line. And uh, the other, so another thing, I know I'm talking aviation. So if anyone loves aviation talk, that's what this podcast is. The landing control officers or the landing safety officers, the LSOs are all the other pilots in the squadron. That's who's calling your landing. So you're graded as how good of a pilot you are about how good you land. So if you think how competitive we all are, 
we are going to help you land great, but we don't want you to have a perfect landing. <laughs> so we want you to land great. We want to get you safely on the aircraft. And then as soon as you land, we'll grade your landing. So it's like, okay, boo, that was great. Okay, that, that was a B, you know. So it's kind of like, we're going to get you in perfection. And then as soon as you land, we're going to grade you you know, we're not going to give you the best grades. You have to earn your grades, kind of like a gymnast or a figure skater after years and years of doing it. You might have done that that perfectly as a newbie, but you don't deserve the good grades yet. Right. Um, so there's four wires that go across an aircraft carrier and the tail hook comes down. You can catch any one, but you're really shooting for wire three. So wire three is a perfect landing and that's three from the back. So if you count one, two, three from the rear, it's the third wire. And then if you miss all four, it's a, it's a wave off because you're landing at full throttle in case you don't hit any of them. You're, you can hear full throttle to take off again. And so we hit, we caught number three and that again, that jolt of the stop is another thing that's just, you don't, no one can prepare you for that. But anyway, so in essence, I flew in an F-14 with the Jolly Rogers, 1998, yep. halfway, you know, and I got this great experience because of this male uh, commanding officer who believed in women in the military. So I see the Jolly Rogers at the air show that we're at yesterday. And now they're F-18s. Yeah. And you made a beeline for them. And I made a beeline. And I walk up because I wanted they're selling T-shirts. So a lot of times what happens at these air shows is squadrons make their money for Christmas parties and other like hail and farewells through selling stuff from their squadron, stickers, patches, T-shirts. And so they're always out there doing air shows selling certain things uh, to the public. And so I made a beeline to get a t-shirt and there was a bunch of pilots, young guys, <laughs> lieutenants, you know, you're probably what, like 28, uh, yeah, like 26, like that young pilots, right? Usually you're your most hotshot pilots. And I, I tell them my whole story and I felt like you came in, you're like, I'm going to go sit over here with the kids and eat. And I felt like after our words, I'm like, was I like the old lady telling you the story? It's very possible. <laughs> Because that's like for them, it's 25 years ago. Yeah. Probably before some of them were born. It's highly likely. So we're like this old lady's coming in talking about F-14s. But um, they were nice. I bought a T-shirt from them. So that's so that's cool. Like what you're going to get at air shows is you're going to get the veterans. You're going to get the the people who had done it before come sure. in and tell their, their, you know, their sea stories, their air stories. And uh, I always enjoyed that, too, as a young pilot. So celebrating 50 years of aviation, it was women in aviation, women in aviation. So in 1973, they had the first group of eight women start flight school, Navy flight school. And uh, in 1974, so a year later, they had six of them earn their wings of gold. So that's what they call the 50 years of women in aviation. And then they're celebrating like Amanda Lee being a blue angel. And they have other firsts as well that they had celebrated the first commander of a, you know, F-18 squadron earlier at the at there. So they had done a lot of these women first. Um, and I think it kind of centers along the Super Bowl had that women flyover. So, oh, yeah. Right. So there, so there is a lot of this women in aviation celebration that's happening this year. So that the air show kind of celebrated that. But 
it was great for the kids because they had set up in some hangars a lot of like STEM experiments that they could play with. Yeah, and I I would assume right for if for those listening, if you've never been to an air show, if you never brought family to an air show, that that's one of the great mm-hmm. things to to really bring your family to because it's typically these are are kind of you know Navy military kind of you know their face to the public. It's not just them out there kind of doing the show it's a little bit of recruiting but it's also it doesn't feel like a big recruiting event i mean they have the obvious kind of recruiter spots out there with the marines and their pull-up bar (laughs) and all that stuff and um but it really was opportunities for the kids to just get out there and see all the cool things that are throughout the dod and the Mm -hmm. military and nasa yep and then even the performers, they had like the leapfrogs. So they had the Navy SEALs parachute in and they had civilian and military performers. They had like this Red Bull helicopter. They kept oh doing gosh. like loop-de-loops. And I, I'm like, I've never seen that. I've never seen a helicopter do a loop-de-loop because I, I honestly didn't know it was possible. And then I saw it do one. I, I, and I, you were in like one of the helicopters with the kids or something like that. I was like, Jen, that helicopter just did a loop-de-loop. I, I didn't. I'm not sure what I'm looking at at here. Because that was always my party joke, right? Because people are, I would ask me, can a helicopter go inverted? And I always would say once. Right. right? (laughs) You always say say once. It really was pretty incredible. And and we'll bring it back around to kind of some of the history. But some of the aircraft that were there, they had aero, you know, acrobatic national champion flyers and the F-22 Raptor, which absolutely blew my mind. Mm -hmm. It, It just seems like it's defying physics and the mm-hmm. law of gravity. It's it's really pretty incredible. Now, one of the things that they actually called out while we were there, one of the announcers said when the Blue Angels started flying was that the Blue Angels had actually started performing in like the 1940s. Yes. And I thought that was actually I was I was surprised, but I mean like like we said, they started flying planes, everybody started wanting to see it. So they're the second oldest demonstration squadron in the world behind one in France. So they started flying in 1946. And in France, it was a couple years earlier. So they have been around since 1946. I just, I I never realized that. Because you and I, we've seen the Blue Angels Mm -hmm. a ton of times, right? You in flight school. You know, me, you know, when I was in college, they would practice, you know, over over my school all the time. Um, But it was just really neat. And then obviously seeing the Blue Angels kind of cap off the whole air show was just fun because the the kids had never seen it before. And they really pull out all the stops. They do all the high-speed passes (laughs) and they're playing the music and they've got, you know. It's very choreographed. It's very choreographed. (laughs) um, But it, it was neat. So there's six aircraft total. There's four that'll stay in the diamond formation and they pretty much do formation flight. And then there's two solo. There's a, a lead solo and a secondary solo. Yeah, five, number five and six. Five and six. And they do a lot of the, the passes, the yep. high speed passes. And they will form up with the, the diamond formation and do like a six man formation. But uh, most of the time they're doing all the, the crazy flying. And uh, it's uh, six Navy personnel, one Marine uh, for the Blue Angels. And so they kind of, uh, they one Marine will always be flying as part of the demonstration crew. Um, and the Thunderbirds are kind of like the air force equivalent. They've been around since 1953 and I, I had seen them as a young kid. Yeah. But if you ever go to an air show, you know, we recommend get there early because it gets very crowded and busy. And if you have an opportunity like this air show sold tickets where you could get seating that was closer where you didn't have to bring your chair because you, 
the air shows are usually free and you can bring your chair. So you could go to an air show completely for free and just enjoy the day. Or even if you live close to where they're performing, you could probably watch it from your house. And, and you didn't have to have a military ID to get nope. on base. They, they actually opened it up to the public, yes. which I didn't realize. Yeah. Um, you know, the only thing was that they were basically just kind of checking bags and stuff just mm-hmm. before you got on the flight line. Yeah. So it was great. But if you didn't want to carry your chair and you could pay for tickets like we did on the flight line. And if you wanted to pay a little bit more, you get bleachers. And if you wanted to pay like a little bit more, you could pay for preferred parking uh, or else you're going to walk like we did. And be prepared to walk at an air show anyway, yeah. because you're going to be walking the basically the tarmac. You're walking the flight line and to the different booths, to the different food, to the different static aircraft, and then over to the demonstration area. It's it was it's a significant walk. So I would just be prepared if you're going to go to an air show, be prepared to be there all day. Yeah, but it, 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 it really was fun. We spent the whole day there and some of that history of, of aviation, I just never knew until we got there and, and really until we kind of started talking about it tonight here on the Talk With History podcast. So if you guys have ever been to an air show, I would love to hear about it. Shoot us an email. Um, you can find us, our, our email over at talkwithhistory.com. Um, reach out to us. Let us know if you ever have had kind of an air show experience, because if there's one thing that I've learned about pilots or people that are a fan of aviation is they love to talk about aviation and their aviation stories, just like my co-host here did tonight. Yes. And I apologize. We, I actually had someone on Instagram say, I didn't even know you were a pilot. And I find that really hard and to believe. now you're just going to send them this podcast episode every single time. I just wanted to say one more time before we leave that the Blue Angels perform um, annually for about 15 million spectators a year. The Thunderbirds perform for about 12 million spectators a year. So if you can imagine all those people going to see uh, these jets perform. I'm sure someone has a good story out there. Yeah, I w- we would love to hear it. And and if you can kind of write us a little email or, or send us a little note, um, or even if you look in the show notes, there's actually a way, there's a link in there. It's podinbox.com slash history. Yeah, you can actually leave us an audio kind of message. And I think if you keep it under 30 seconds, we might be able to play it. So if anybody's listening and you're interested <laughs> in, in telling us a story, and maybe we can we can get it on here the podcast. So thank you for listening to the Talk With History podcast. And please reach out to us at our website, talkwithhistory.com. But more importantly, if you know someone else that is an aviation fan or a pilot that has another story to tell, please share this episode with them, especially if you think that today's topic would interest a friend. Shoot them a text and tell them to look us up. We rely on you, our community, to grow. And we appreciate you all every day. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you.